Welcome, everyone. We are here for a very special episode of Live on Cyber today. As my normal co-host, Stan Stahl, he is actually on vacation. Lucky guy. Go summer vacation for Dr. Stan. I'm joined by the fabulous Heather Spilsbury. And Heather, I'm so excited to get to have people know you and the organization that you represent and partner with. So if you would, tell us about you. Sure. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be here. My name is Heather Spilsbury. I am the Chief Operating Officer for 5050 Women on Boards. And if you're not familiar with the organization, we're a nonprofit that's dedicated to elevating women to corporate board service. And we do that through research, educational programs and workshops, events, and we also advocate for the cause. The cause. Tell me about the cause. Sure. Yeah. So back in 2010, two of our founders, Stephanie Sonneban and Mally Jarrow, were concerned about the percentage of women on corporate boards. And so they started doing some investigating from a research standpoint and found that there was only 10% women at the time on the Fortune 1000. So they just made it their mission to go fight for the business imperative of having gender equality on corporate boards. Now, we're also fighting for diversity too on corporate boards and the lack of diversity that impacts how companies operate from a productive standpoint and profitability standpoint, but also just in terms of how they serve their community. Over the years, now we're in 2023, there's just been this upswell of awareness around the issue and why it's so important for companies to diversify their boards. And so we're happy to be part of the movement and making sure that women continue to advance. And again, we try and do that at 50-50 through various avenues. But for us, it's really a cause of making sure that everybody has an opportunity to succeed. Mm, that's wonderful. Well, thank you for taking us through your mission. It is an extraordinary organization. So as we think about the connection into cybersecurity, so you as COO of this organization, you are the imperative to safeguard. You're not a membership organization, but you do We're gather not. people. Right? Correct. So tell us about some of the activities that you do as an organization. Yeah, I mean, it's typical to to most organizations in terms of how they operate, which means by growing your awareness from a marketing standpoint, you're looking at ways to secure audiences in various ways, whether that's through social media, through email marketing, through registration for events, you name it. Think about all the platforms that you use as an organization yourself and consider how people are communicating and and passing off their information to you in a trustworthy manner and hoping that on the opposite end, you're doing the right thing with their information. So for us as an organization, it's very important, especially as a nonprofit, because we're also small, I think that's part of the reason that it's so important for us to ensure that we are protected. Because if something were to happen with our information or if if we had a cyber attack, it's detrimental to a business, especially smaller businesses. And I know you know this, but in terms of, you know, making sure that we have the right tools in place to be able to do that, I think for us really started out with baby steps and just looking Mm -hmm. at how we're using third parties and what their policies are and what does that mean for us as an organization and how do we protect ourselves It's a tricky thing because you want to ensure your audience is also protected, but you can't always predict what other platforms Hmm. are going to do or how they're going to be attacked if they are. So that's one thing that concerns us. And we always are on the lookout for making sure that, you know, we do the best of our ability to make it a safe space for people. Absolutely. I think 
when we can get into the nuts and bolts of things and help people see where vulnerabilities are, we have a bigger attack space, I think, than we're aware of. Yeah. And more chances. And this attentiveness, I think, is crucial in outlining, like to your point, where are all the ways that things could go wrong? What are all the tools that we use? How do we safeguard all that information? And, you know, this behavior change piece, too. When cars yes. were first around, there were no seatbelts and it took real time behavior change, culture change, policy change before seatbelts became a regularly used thing. And so did, was it pretty easy to work on that culture shift within your organization? I think everybody is aware of, of the importance of having a secure network, for lack of a better term, because mm-hmm. we're living in an age where I equate it to like AI. You know, right now it's kind of an open platform. We don't know the implications of it quite yet, but we will at some point and there'll be regulations and things that'll come into play as it continues to grow and expand. And the same thing could be said for cybersecurity. We've seen it over time just continue to advance in the ways that we can protect ourselves. So I think from an organizational standpoint, everybody has taken a good look in terms of how they're operating and even just the simplest things. We talked about this before, but just making sure that you know, you're know you changing your passwords, that you've got a password that's not easy to remember, that you're not using things from your personal information that someone could easily figure out or get, and you're not using the same password across all platforms, mm-hmm. that you have authentication embedded, that you're making sure that all your employees do that too on a regular basis. So I think those types of things are something that from a day-to-day standpoint, everybody understands that the implications of it and why it's necessary and they're on board, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, not something that was really thought about probably three or four years ago, which yes. is interesting because, you know, cyber attacks have been taking place for so long. They really have. And yet, the more we talk about it with each other, the more we have discussions like this, the more that we can get it out of just the silos that it has been in and make it become more apparent and more on everybody's radar. So Heather, you came from corporate and then now you're in nonprofit and leadership, but we know that cybersecurity wasn't really on our radars until maybe three, four years ago in the way that it was. What sparked it for you? Did you read something or hear about something happening? How did you start to have all this on your radar? Well, it's interesting because we have always tried to maintain some type of security within our networks and within the platforms that we're using. But it was brought up by the board, which was great because I thought, oh, this is perfect because we do need this. And I'm glad somebody brought it up. You have to have people that are looking out for your best interest, whether that's your board or an advisory network or somebody that you can turn to in terms of strategy to be able to understand, okay, what are the next basic steps? And I think That in part with even learning about Secure the Village has been so important because I just love the way that Stan and yourself approach the topic of cybersecurity. Oftentimes, it's advertised or shared from organizations as this enormous, scary, monumental thing that you can't achieve alone. And unfortunately, for small nonprofits like ourselves, We have to do some of the work ourselves because we don't have big teams. We don't have a CTO. So I think the steps that you share with your audiences are so important and practical that it's easy for anybody to implement just to ensure that you have the basics covered. I love that, Heather. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. You're absolutely right. Until we make it simple, until we make it ready for the layman to integrate into their life. 
then we're going to have more vulnerabilities than we know how to manage. If we can take the complex and be able to explain it when we're onboarding new team members, when we're onboarding the slew of volunteers that you have that partner with you, we have to make it work for them, not just for the highly technical. Some of the business assets that we're imagining too, they're all digital things. So your social media channels mm-hmm. and key communication things like email marketing, those passwords, making sure that those things are safeguarded. Because if, for example, there are organizations out there that are also volunteer driven or maybe member driven and you lose one of those channels, you're up a creek, to put it mildly. You don't have help like we wish we did. We wish that you could approach Instagram and say, hey, our social media channel was just taken over because someone maybe accidentally clicked a text message link and they weren't fully versed in how phishing attempts happen. And you may have lost that thing that you've built up for years and that became an asset and now it's gone. So we can't just assume that we're going to get those things back and have a whole lot of help there. But I'm sure you've heard some horror stories of your own. I have. And I think sometimes too, there's like this misconception that it's really only large corporate organizations that are prone to being attacked, but it's not true. I think it happens across the board. It happens to nonprofits. You really just have to learn how to protect yourself and ensure that you're putting in practices that are practical, that people can follow and that don't leave them with this feeling of being scared, but rather you're empowering them really Mm -hmm. to take take notice and be aware of the things that are coming to them, whether it's from a digital platform, whether it's through email and just being cognizant, you know, looking at the email address, ensuring that you know the person who you're responding to. Nobody's ever going to ask you personal information that you have to share via email without some type of notification or without some type of correspondence or someone that you know. So never share that information unless you know the source. Some of it is common sense. But sometimes when we're in a hurry, especially when we're working the way that we work, right? We see emails and we might respond or we might forward, we might click on a link. And that's when you have to really take the time to stop and say, do I know this person? And if I don't, I just need to read this or check this later because it does happen all the time. So we're not on video today because that's the choice that we get to make as two women who lead. But what I can say is that I'm grinning a mile wide because the way that you're expressing these things is just so practical. And if we could just be thinking like this and also sharing some of our best practices more widely, then the world will be a safer place to be online and be more of a safe digital citizen. So I absolutely love this, Heather. And thank you so much for sharing that. If you had any other guidance parting words, just as you're leading and trying to continue to bring these best practices in. Uh, Do you have a guidebook or how do you onboard people or any other tips, tricks to help someone else's journey? That's a great question. And I'm smiling, by the way, too, from from (laughs) ear to ear. I've really enjoyed this conversation. But from an onboarding standpoint, I think what we try and do at 5050 is ensure that, you know, everybody's set up for success. So you have your own company email, of course, like most companies do, and you make sure that someone, you know, has a strong password and that you make sure that you're updating that regularly. So we send notifications to them. So it's something that they don't have to necessarily go in to the platform and then change. We're doing that on their behalf and then notifying them so that it's easy for them. And I think that's really important because sometimes as an employee, especially of a large organization, it's hard to remember to do that and to update those things. So anywhere where we have access to platforms where we can automatically update or notify someone to update, we take advantage of that where we can. And then in other ways, you know, we just ensure that 
we're communicating in a way that is safeguarded. So for example, if we have passwords, we're not trying to share them via email. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of great platforms out there now where you can save your passwords in a secure setting. You have to be careful which, which third parties you're using, but you know, it's important to do some research there and, and make sure that you're not just hosting that somewhere where someone can access because then again, then they have access to everything. So those are the types of things that we try to implement from an onboarding standpoint, just to ensure that people understand like, you know, who it is we're communicating with, what platforms we're using and how we're using them, what information we can and can't share. I have this conversation all the time and I know people get really upset with me, but we do not share any data of our subscribers, meaning our email subscribers Mm -hmm. or any of our audience members, because we just adhere to that, that they're sharing that information for a specific purpose, whether it's an event, whether it's to receive news. And I can't send that information to somebody else just unwillingly. It's just Mm -hmm. not fair to the other recipient. And those are privacy policies that we're all aware of. But those questions, even in today's world, get asked all the time. So you know, those types of best practices, I think, are important to implement from a messaging standpoint as an organization, just so that everyone's, you know, working in the same way and mm-hmm. to the beat of the same, you know, drumbeat, because it's it's important to to have those clear messages to your internal and external audiences. That is epic. Okay, well, so having having that drumbeat, knowing what's going to happen before it happens, knowing that, you know, if an event happens, we know that people will love to be able to grab those email addresses, add them to their system, even. But if you're already in the moment, sometimes it's kind of too late and it's hard to develop policy on the fly. Mm -hmm. But just knowing that if you sit down and think these things through ahead of time, you'll do so much better, especially if you can do it as a united front from leadership to board all the way down. Then no one else is having to make it up as you go. But you're absolutely right. The privacy of the data that we are guarding, I mean, that is our duty. And so, Heather, this has been a delightful conversation. Thank you so much for coming and bringing all of these insights from your leadership journey, implementing cybersecurity practices, working to make your organization stick around because 5050 Women on Boards has such a mission and we can't have it, you know, being, I mean, if you go through a cyber attack as a nonprofit, it is a massive number that shut down. Their doors close. And so I'm thrilled to hear that you are putting all these practices in place to make sure that you stay open and keep on your mission. Thank you so much, Julie, for having me. I really appreciate it. And for anyone who's looking for more information on 5050, you can head to our website at 5050wb.com.